From the Sammamish Independent, I'm Julia Gudis, your host, and you're listening to Indie On Air. It's Monday, May 3rd, and this week I'm joined by DTL Kunchwar as we find out what is going on with real estate prices in Sammamish. With the COVID-19 pandemic sparking a rapid price increase in homes, we talked to a real estate agent, an economist, and an affordable housing advocate to get the full scope of real estate trends, while touching on the issues of supply and demand, zoning, income, and equity that all contribute to the market we see today. Stay tuned to learn why home prices in Sammamish are so incredibly high. Hey, DT. So as you know, I moved here from Texas nearly three years ago. You've lived here for longer than I have, right? Yes, I've lived here slightly longer, for five years. You know, one question that's always been on my mind since I moved here is why are homes so much more expensive here in the Seattle area compared to so many other places throughout the U.S., especially Texas? That's actually a great question, but the answer is pretty long and a little complicated. I guess a good place to start would be the newest catalyst of home prices skyrocketing, COVID. I think we can all agree that it's been one long year due to COVID. Oh, you bet. One of the sectors where there's been a huge impact is real estate. But for those in the industry, it's been a huge boon. Usually during recessions, home prices drop, but that does not seem to hold up this time. In fact, it's been a huge beneficiary of COVID. Totally. I checked the latest numbers from the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Average home prices shot up by 15.4% across the Seattle area in February versus a year ago. It's made us the third hottest housing market in the country, behind Phoenix and San Diego. It's quite insane. We wanted to find out what's driving this hot market, so we spoke with a few experts. The first person was Jeff Tucker, an economist from Zillow. He believes the prices are driven by millennials who are at the age where they're starting families and looking to buy a home. They turbocharged into the market when COVID hit. Seattle itself has an unusually large fraction of millennials. So this is the sort of big cohort that was right on the cusp of moving into home ownership. They're, they're mostly renting, but that at that age, they kind of transition into buying their first home. The pandemic seemed to accelerate that decision for a lot of people. Maybe they're doing okay in their small condo or their tiny starter home uh, or single family rental uh, living downtown or, or in the city, so long as they could go to playgrounds and parks and coffee shops and their office and their daycare every day. But when all those things got closed and all of those aspects of life had to happen in the four walls of their own home, a lot of people found they couldn't really fit. Uh, I experienced this myself, actually. Um, and so I'm myself looking for a bigger home at the moment. And so that seemed to catalyze a lot of these first-time purchase decisions. And in America, that really disproportionately tends to be a move for renters, especially in the Seattle area. If you moved from renting to owning your first home, most of the time, uh, or the, the most common form that takes is moving from uh, a multifamily apartment into a detached single family home. That totally made sense, but surely if there were enough homes, then prices wouldn't have shot up so quickly. What's going on in terms of supply? To answer that, we also interviewed Brady Nordstrom, the Eastside Program Coordinator for FutureWise, which advocates for affordable housing. Here's what he said. 
the pandemic has caused a lot of people to get uptight. They don't want to sell their homes, but there's like millennials and other people that because of like the housing prices and other things that have made millennials not have sort of a financial mobility of earlier generations. Um, a lot of millennials now are finally able to think about that, which um, is much later than earlier generations as well. But um, so millennials are entering the market. There's other people that want more space. And so these people are looking for homes now. And uh, again, we have a, a net shortage in homes. And so you see this sort of like imbalance in supply and demand. That does sound like the perfect storm. A ton of pent-up demand unleashing onto the market, and even less supply than usual. Yes, and on the ground, this situation has created some really strange conditions for buyers and real estate agents. To get an idea of how difficult it is to buy a house right now, we spoke to Jennifer Dergarbedian, a Sammamish realtor for Windermere Real Estate. It's heavily, heavily a seller's market and continues to grow that way. And buyers are, they're really having to be savvy. I have colleagues of mine, they've submitted like 42 offers for, for certain clients. I mean, the, it's just the number of properties out there. It, it's staggering how little there, there is comparatively. I've had an open house. We just recently were able to start having open houses with all sorts, you know, COVID precautions in place. And it was a similar thing that um, a buyer had said to me back in 2016. And she came into the house with her family. The kids ran off to, you know, find their rooms. And her husband went walking around and she grabbed my hand and she said, does it have a bathroom? We'll take it, you know, because they had already written so many offers on so many places and had just unfortunately been outbid. They just weren't sure, you know, whatever the circumstances were, but when you're, when you've been brought here by a company and you're in employee housing and that employee housing is going to end, it's a real problematic situation when you can't find, you know, a house close by. 42 offers for a single client. That is nuts. It's like going on an epic quest for buyers to land a house right now. <laughs> it is, but this situation doesn't happen overnight. In fact, a lot of these real estate conditions have been building for decades, and COVID-19 sort of blew it out of proportion. To really dig into how we got here, we asked our guests what happened over the last several years that created such an imbalance between supply and demand. For context, Seattle area home prices have increased by about two and a half times since 2001, according to Jeff Tucker. That rate is a bit higher than income growth. Between 2000 and 2019, household incomes in Sammamish went up about 1.8 times. Seattle grew a bit faster at about 2.2 times. But what this growth masks is the number of people who have moved here to take high-paying tech and professional jobs that have boomed in the region. So not everyone's incomes have actually increased, but home prices for everyone pretty much have. Today, if, if we just cut things by the top 50 metro areas by population, um, Seattle logs in, uh, comes in as the fifth most expensive place in the country. 
uh, and it is the most expensive metro area outside of California. The, the four ahead of us are San Jose, which is really Silicon Valley, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego. So the, the big four metro areas of California are more expensive than us. Um, um, but the broad story behind that of, of why prices are high and have risen substantially in Seattle uh, kind of come down to supply and demand. Uh, that there's a lot of demand to live here uh, due to a combination of a really strong employment dynamic. A lot of high paying jobs have been created in the Seattle area, uh, a lot of them in the tech industry. Um, and it's, uh, it's been difficult for supply to keep up. Um, home builders have, have built a lot of homes. And in fact, the, the population of the region has has grown substantially, which is kind of reflected in that. Um, but it's, it's sort of interesting where Seattle sits on the price dynamics because I'd say the supply dynamics are very similar where Seattle is um, better than most anywhere in California at building homes to accommodate rising demand, uh, but not quite as good as most other parts of the country at, at building homes to accommodate that rising demand. Uh, and that, that kind of explains a, a bit of that dynamic. Wow, I knew we lived in an expensive area, but that comparison to California really shocked me. You always hear horror stories of how much people pay to live in places like San Francisco and LA, and that a lot of people are leaving and moving to cheaper places. Jeff brought up a great point. It was never cheap to live here, but as the economy in the Seattle area boomed, more and more people decided to move here, making affordability an even bigger issue over time. Well, when you compare population sizes from 2000 to now, there's an inherent change. Back in 2000, the population in Sammamish was about 34,000 people. As of 2021, the population is 66,696. That's nearly doubling in 20 years, and that's just people who did find a house to move into. With this kind of growth rate, it seems pretty obvious that the demand for housing is sky high, and you would need to build more houses to accommodate everyone. And that, fundamentally, is the problem. The building of new homes did not keep up with this expanding population. Jen, the real estate agent, touched on what's going on in Sammamish. So I would describe that with one word, just repeated. It's growth, growth, growth. I think we have had just a, an intense um, back and forth uh, within Sammamish. Um, you know, we've had builder moratoriums going on just to kind of curb some of this growth, uh, just to try to catch up with infrastructure and all of that. But it is just... The desirability um, was there and growing into, and it's just it's just skyrocketed and it hasn't stopped. Jen is describing moratoriums that Sammamish has basically put in place since 2017 to stop construction of new homes, restrict supply, and prices will definitely skyrocket, as she said. But it's not just moratoriums, right? I mean, sure, that's the case for Sammamish, but other communities in the Seattle area don't have moratoriums. Prices are going up everywhere, so what's causing it? That's a great point, Julia. And the guests that we spoke with brought up a lot of reasons for why the Seattle area, like some other communities around the country, just hasn't been able to build enough homes to keep up with demand. 
A big reason is land use and how most cities place a lot of restrictions on what can be built on a lot, often limiting it to single-family homes. Here's Jeff Tucker, the Zillow economist, again. We devote a tremendous amount of land, and even in Seattle proper, even in Bellevue itself, um, even in Tacoma uh, and, and Everett, we devote a tremendous amount of land to uh, a, a types of zoning that permit, in the scheme of things, especially in an urban area, they permit very little housing construction. They per permit very little, very few homes per acre, um, either by requiring single, you know, that it can only be a detached single family home um, rather than say townhouses or apartments. Um, and then there are other ways where even if the zoning may permit something denser, there are a lot of kind of related land use restrictions like setbacks, um, maximum lot coverage, uh, FAR, which is the floor area ratio. Um, and then there are also the, these kinds of uh, veto points where different groups uh, can sort of object to the construction of new homes, often on the basis of, um, you know, it's too dense, it'll bring too many residents in, uh, where were they going to park? Uh, there, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of entities that kind of have the ability, even if something meets the these kind of simple zoning requirements. Uh, there are different entities that can kind of step in and, and halt construction or delay it for a very long time. Um, the, the, that's sort of a bigger issue in, in Seattle itself, I think. Um, but traditionally, you know, the suburbs are also home to a lot of uh, land use policies that essentially mandate or dictate that a lot of land is used per home. And so it's, it's sort of, it's really the combination of these two big factors of our, uh, just geographically, we don't have a lot of land to work with. And then if we set up a bunch of rules that basically say you have to use a lot of land per home that gets built, uh, at the end of the day, you do the math that that has to mean not a whole lot of homes do get built. Surely, people are clamoring to change this, right? I mean, can't we just change the zoning laws? Politically, that's been really difficult. Brady Nordstrom pointed out that even among liberals, who have a reputation for supporting greater equity, they only pay lip service to housing as a human right. But many of them are as opposed to lifting zoning restrictions as anyone else. There's a well-known and well-documented trend where the people that are most invested in um, sort of like their home values or in um, what's happening next door, uh, that they don't want to see change at all. There's this, there's this very common attitude that like, oh, affordable housing is great, more housing, that's awesome, but not by me. Um, and there's a very sort of like, you see a lot of people's signs uh, in their yards where it will say, Black Lives Matter, um, we welcome everyone here, immigrants are welcome, and then they say, um, no up zones or no changing of zoning. And it's like a very sort of contradictory picture that we see. Oh my gosh, I'm getting flashes of people who live in Sammamish with all the Black Lives Matter and everyone is welcome signs. Yet we somehow still have some of the most restrictive zoning regulations of any city in the Seattle area. And we're electing city councils that want to keep that firmly in place. Brady describes Sammamish perfectly. 
I can also see how Sammamish became the wealthiest small city in America. Only people with six-figure incomes can afford houses here. Back in 2016, the median home sale price here in Sammamish was nearly 800000 according to Redfin. And that's already pretty steep. Now the median price is $1.4 a 75% increase in just three years. Brady also touched on the fact that people who already own homes don't want anything to change. They're sitting on a large and growing fortune. When we come back, we'll discuss who ultimately wins and loses when home prices go up so quickly. Stay with us. Indie on Air is a podcast that complements the new digital newspaper, The Sammamish Independent, which provides community news that you can use right here in the city of Sammamish, Washington. The Sammamish Independent is brought to you by a team of students and community leaders who are passionate about keeping our neighbors informed of what's going on in our community. Check out the paper at SammamishIndependent.com. Welcome back. Today, we're diving deep into the hot real estate market and the housing crisis this has created in the Seattle area. Whenever there's a housing shortage, the price of homes go up, which means fewer people can afford to buy them. According to Up for Growth, a nonprofit dedicated towards creating accessible and affordable communities, from 2000 to 2015, Washington State was built up a housing deficit of 225,000 homes. This represents how short the state is in meeting housing demand and is eighth highest nationwide. While home prices do have a range, the lack of housing construction reduces availability of lower priced homes and hits lower income Washingtonians particularly hard. Up for Growth estimates that 80% of the statewide shortage was left for families making less than 80% of the area median income. This proportionately impacts people of color. Throughout this podcast, we've been discussing with local experts about the economics and social impact this housing deficit has created in the Seattle area. Brady Nordstrom, who works for the nonprofit organization FutureWise, laid out for us who loses in this hot real estate market. That it's caused a lot of displacement in King County um, and all over the country. Um, and these tend to hit uh, BIPOC communities the hardest. It, there's even maps that the county has produced that show, it's like a heat map, where people in the east side, including Sammamish, um, including Bellevue, and in Seattle, as home prices have gone up, um, these people have been pushed south to cities like Kent, Federal Way, and further south, even into Pierce County. And then those people that used to live in those counties are pushed further south as well. And so it's, um, it's a little bit of a unsettling trend, people that are displaced from these communities. Um, and this is a, a Duke study. Um, they tend to move to neighborhoods with significantly lower school quality, higher crime rates, and a higher probability of changing jobs and receiving lower incomes. So it's not just a one-for-one -one switch. Um, the people, when they're displaced, it, it, uh, it really disjoints their life. So, um, so it's, it's a negative trend. This seems to connect back to the historical significance of redlining in Seattle neighborhoods, where there were outlined residential restrictions based on race and ethnicity, which led to this long-lasting inequity among minorities when it comes to housing. While outright legal restrictions are gone, the inequity continues. 
This housing affordability issue in Sammamish is very much part of our regional problem, and it's caused a massive growth in the homelessness population in the Seattle area at about 9% increase every year, according to a recent study by McKinsey. When wealthier people move into a community and displace its current inhabitants by pushing up home prices, property taxes, and rents, that's what many of us know as gentrification, which is one of the causes of homelessness. Here's Jeff Tucker, the economist from Zillow, explaining this relationship. The high cost of housing leaves less money in households' budgets for everything else that's important. Um, leaves them less money for education, saving for retirement, for healthcare, for spending on their kids. So it creates a lot of challenges. Um, the, the high cost of housing is also really intimately connected to the issue of homelessness. Um, and we've actually, through a partnership, collaborated in some research on the connection between rising rents and higher rates of homelessness. And we did find that there's a pretty clear correlation, a pretty clear connection where places with really high and rising rents tend to have higher rates of homelessness because the, the sort of challenges of affordability get more severe the further down the income scale you go. And then that means that for a lot of people who are marginally attached or barely able to afford their homes, um, if one financial calamity hits them, like a medical bankruptcy or their car breaks down and they can't afford to fix it, um, then they fall behind on their rent, they may get evicted, or they, they may just move out because they can't pay it, um, so, and then they may find themselves living on the streets. So th there's this, this whole kind of chain reaction of events where we do see higher rents and, and rising cost of housing translate directly into higher rates of homelessness. Okay, so people with lower incomes, especially people of color, get pushed out homelessness shoots up. We're seeing all of this happen with our very own eyes in the region, but there must be winners too. Who's making out nicely in this situation? Well, Julia, you and I are. I mean, not you and I per se, but our families and the majority of the residents in Sammamish. How so? Here's Brady explaining. I think one of the main impacts, it's just like we see rental prices behaving differently than home prices. Um, we're also seeing winners and losers that are created by the uh, massive growth in home prices. Um, so for a lucky sum um, who own homes, this means there's going to be more wealth and security. And as um, The Economist points out, housing is the biggest asset class in the world. And um, Ben Bernanke, who was the former Fed chairman, was quoted to say that the economy is the housing market. Um, so for, for the others that don't own homes, it can mean being locked out of what is the, the most common um, wealth building tool in, in like globally speaking. Um, and so this is reinforcing a lot of historical patterns as well. I see what you're saying. I'm also glad Brady mentioned this dynamic of having winners and losers. With fewer being able to afford houses in the Sammamish area, many have had to move further away in order to find a home they can afford. This can be teachers with long commutes who can't live in the same city as their students, or even employees that can't afford to live near their jobs. That is what we are seeing, and I'm glad we are checking our privilege a little here. Another winner that Jeff mentioned is, of course, the real estate sector. It's also good news for 
companies working in the real estate sector um, and primarily uh, real estate brokerages. So, you know, your, your real estate agents out there certainly are seeing higher income and, and more transactions in a market like this. It's a trend generally of rising prices is also pretty important. I, I think rising really fast and, and dramatically can be disruptive and harmful, but uh, there are a lot of benefits to, to maybe sort of slow and steady price appreciation. Certainly incumbent homeowners, just people who bought their home a while ago while it was cheaper, they are getting wealthier on paper. Um, and that means when they sell their home, uh, it'll be more, worth more than they bought it for. So that, that, that's certainly great news for them. Jeff brings up a really great point, which is some increase in prices is a good thing. It means people are building wealth, and it also means the local economy is healthy. But when prices go up as quickly as they are in the Seattle area, a lot of people will get displaced. The big question is, will this trend continue? We ended our guest conversations by asking this, and also seeing if there's an ideal state we should be shooting for. Here's what they had to say. Housing prices are growing at, an, um, at sort of an unsustainable rate. And a lot of that, in my personal opinion, um, is because we have created housing as a speculative tool to be used to make money versus a, like a human right, where it's something that like we need because people can't live healthy, happy, productive lives unless they have a home. So when you create all that speculation on housing, it creates a lot of weird trends that eventually diverge from reality. And that crash, it, it seems almost inevitable. If, if prices were to turn around and fall right now, that, you know, that would be potentially pretty bad for a number of people, particularly anyone who bought their home very recently. Maybe the simplest way to put it is that there's sort of like a, a Goldilocks middle of the road there where, where prices are neither plummeting um, or, or falling nor skyrocketing. But sort of a, a slow and steady increase would be um, would, would be the least disruptive and you know would would help avoid some of the affordability concerns where home prices are getting unaffordable. We're still in the middle of building the town center. I mean that's been on the docket for a you know, I think they first started talking about that like in 2004 or something. Um, and that had the whole plan, high density, mixed use, variety of housing options. Um, so with those plans in place, the desirability isn't going to change. Um, the location isn't going to change. And we're still seeing these low interest rates. They've been ticking up slightly, but they're still historically low. The companies, you know, we have a ton of AI, software development companies, Microsoft, Amazon, Costco, all of those um, aren't showing signs. I mean, they're still purchasing land and Microsoft is still moving forward with all of their, um, the remodeling, you know, the rehabbing they're doing with their buildings, whether or not employees will be coming back in or staying remote, I, I don't know. But with all of that going on, these trends are bound to continue.
Here's what else you need to know this week. The Sammamish City Council has a meeting on Tuesday, May 4th, starting at 6.30 p.m. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, the council chamber is closed to the public, but you can watch the council meeting at sammamish.us forward slash TV21 and submit public comments by emailing the city or dialing into the meeting. Governor Inslee will announce today whether King County will be dialed back down to phase two in the state's COVID-19 reopening plan, which may mean businesses will be forced to go back down to 25% capacity. COVID cases and hospitalizations have been increasing in King County throughout March and April. The newest King County vaccination program is offering in-home appointments to all people 16 and older who face difficulties leaving their home due to any medical conditions. As more people begin to receive their vaccines, don't forget to stay safe, mask up, and continue to follow CDC guidelines. Finally, in a bit of positive news, we finally have sushi in Sammamish. Big Fish Sushi recently opened its doors and is located on Inglewood Hill Road at the location of the Thai restaurant Lamponi, which closed last year. No longer will Sammamish residents need to truck down the plateau to get sushi. I think I know what I'm having for dinner. This episode of India on Air was produced by Julia Gudis, Sarah Stoud, Mehek Sate, Aditi Elkinshwar, and Lin Yang. Our theme music was created by Ben Allwright. Special thanks to Jeff Tucker from Zillow, Brady Nordstrom from Futurewise, and Jennifer DeGarabedian from Windermere Real Estate for taking the time to talk to us. You can visit www.zillow.com forward slash research forward slash data for more information about housing statistics. And that's this week's episode of Indie on Air. Don't forget to join us next time for another episode where we're exploring the sport of fencing, which is apparently popular in Sammamish. Until then, I'm Julia Gudis. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time.